My guest today is the EMEA sales leader at Lydiard. Here's just some of the things her colleagues say about her. Rebecca is the kind of coach that sees you. Her compassionate approach to untangling self-limiting beliefs has transformed how I see myself and my capabilities. Here's another one. Rebecca personifies servant leadership in the best ways. She has a unique ability to motivate her team to drive towards key outcomes and key business objectives in mind, while still maintaining empathy, compassion, and supporting your team at a human level. There's another one. As soon as you get to know Rebecca, you quickly realize her ability and passion for helping people. As a sales leader, I find Rebecca very proactive and creative when it comes to helping her team and clients. And I'll take one more. Rebecca's passion for people and her work is second to none. She has an amazing ability to adapt to individuals uniquely and support them in what they need. Rebecca Drew, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. What an introduction. It's all yours. It's all yours. I didn't make up a word of it. In fact, the difficulty often is just take, taking just a small amount because there's so much uh, to, to take for. So kudos to you. Um, I'd like to talk to you a little bit later on about Vidyard um, and, and that business because I think it applies to sales leaders and the, the, the sales industry. But before we do, maybe you could tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what that was like. Yeah, so um, so yeah, so I'm uh, I, I grew up all over the place, really, to be honest. So um, interesting fact: so I'm 40 years old, um, and I've moved house 41 times. What? Um, <laughs> so um, if anyone's ever looking to move house, I can pretty much do it with my eyes closed now. My house number is 41. <laughs> that has a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so yes, yeah, so I moved around a lot. I went to uh, lots of different schools. Uh, I think it was about six different schools, four different uh, colleges, um, and um, I think it was like five primary schools in all. So yeah, moved around an awful lot. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, from, from there really just kind of like helped me to be super adaptable with everything that, um, you know, that I was doing. So, um, so yeah, that's my, my background. Um, yeah. anything else? Or? Well, it was, what drove all the, it was, was, uh, was one of your parents in the army or something or the bank or something? What drove yeah. that? Um, so yeah, so my parents, um, moved around a lot. So my, they were both in the, uh, the national health service and always moving to different, um, different locations. And then even in the last, you know, 16 years since I've been in London, I've moved around quite a lot as well. So I've now got my roots down. I've kind of like bought a house and very happy where I am. So I'll be moving at all until I uh, probably retire and kind of move out to the countryside. So this is it then? This is the final move? Well, until, like I say, until I build my own house, I've got a, an idea of a dream house uh, that I want to build. And um, yeah, I can go from there. Right. So I'm curious, you, you moved around a lot when you were a child. How much of an influence do you think that has had on who you are as a person today? Um, huge, actually. So, um, you know, moving around all the time, you're always joining, you know, new environments, new schools, um, having to make friends uh, quickly and try to establish yourself. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing. I can get on with most people. Um, it's certainly given me a lot of empathy and compassion. You know, I've met with lots of different people from different backgrounds and different walks of life. So I think, you know, that's had a real imprint actually on, on who I am today. So and I'm very grateful for that experience. Hmm. And were there any clues in your growing up that kind of you could, when you look back, you say, yeah, yeah, that, that's why I'm in sales. Anything that you did that kind of pointed to a career in sales? 
Um, I th again, I think, you know, by, by, you know, being part of new environments all the time and, you know, that has a certain kind of like adrenaline to it. And, you know, you're always trying to, you know, establish yourself and make new friends. So, you know, I'm very comfortable in pressured environments. I'm very comfortable working with, you know, lots of different people from different backgrounds. I think, you know, giving that empathy of working with, you know, not only your, your colleagues and your, your peers, but also with clients and, you know, being able to understand people quite quickly and, and really kind of like get to the heart of the, the matter, I think is, is something that's really important in sales. So, um, so yeah, so I think that was the, the direction I was on. And also, you know, I had, um, I had someone uh, whilst I was at university um, who really inspired me to get into sales. I actually worked at uh, a startup technology firm. Uh, it was one of the first cloud businesses actually in, in the UK, uh, a company called Masternaut. And it was um, actually part of the Leeds Innovation Centre. Um, I went to Leeds University and it was part of the Innovation Centre there, um, where they would basically kind of incubate um, all startup companies. Um, and it was amazing. Like, you know, there was three people when I started, the CEO, the CFO uh, and his wife. And, um, you know, I started out telemarketing and I just got the bug for, for sales. I just loved it. Um, and it was uh, it was amazing. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my uh, how I got into it anyway. You're not one for the easy road. Yeah, you could say that. You could say that. But I don't mind that. I actually like a challenge. You know, I've been sort of known for you know, it happens all the time in sales, you know, you're going to have people who are perhaps, you know, underperforming or, you know, people that are struggling. Um, and, um, you know, I, I want the challenge. I, you know, I want to um, have the tough path because ultimately, you know, that's how you grow, right? Um, and I know it sounds a bit kind of like cheesy, but, um, you know, I want to have those challenges. I want to, you know, do a turnaround job on a, on a team. Um, you know, that's what gives me energy, so... You have a preference in terms of large supportive organization with lots of systems and processes versus a startup with nothing. Definitely a startup. So, um, so yeah, I um, it was funny because I, you know, in, in all my different roles that I've had, um, you know, it's all about, been about growth, right? So when I started at LinkedIn, um, I was there for almost 10 years. It was very much a small startup. We were in a serviced office um, in Cavendish Square. Um, it was very kind of like scrappy, you know, we we're trying to kind of figure things out. What was the narrative, how we were going to go to market in EMEA, um, which I loved. So I love that sort of, you know, building the plane whilst you're flying it. Um, it's um, it's such a great environment to be in. And, you know, LinkedIn became a very big company in that in that time that I was there um, and was looking for another rocket ship, really. So. Um, so, yeah, so smaller kind of startup scale up businesses where you're really, really building something is uh, is definitely where I, I thought of. And I get this, and I know this from other guests I've had on who've been involved in maybe leading the startup of an established organization, a US organization, but leading the, the EMEA startup phase can very much feel like it's a startup organization, but with a very, with a strong proven model, which is, I guess, the best of both worlds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and um, yeah, I've done that many times. I mean, LinkedIn was very established in, in North America. Um, and we were building out the EMEA business over here. Uh, same with A Cloud Guru. Um, you know that was an absolute rocket ship. Got acquired by Pluralsight, um, and um, and now Vidyard. And it's and it's so funny because in every role that I've had, I've been an evangelist for the solution before I've actually joined the business. Um, so you know, at my last company, we were using Vidyard, um, and I could see how the results were. You know, going through the roof through using video as part of our sales process. 
Um, so when an opportunity came working for Vidyard to head up their team here and help scale the EMEA business, I knew the technology worked. Mm. Um, and that's something you know I've, I've done throughout my career. Same as LinkedIn, I was using LinkedIn um, and um, was, was a LinkedIn evangelist within the business that I was in. And then an opportunity came and I thought, well, you know, I've been banging on about how great this platform is. Why don't I go and get paid for banging on about how great it is, basically? Mm. So, yeah. I'm fascinated by video. And I'd, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that because I still think it's very early days. And I'd love to explore with you just some of the barriers around it. I think the technology is there to some point. Certainly in terms of the video itself, it's there. The issues I see, and I'd like to get your take on it, one is that if you're delivering a video to a prospect, for example, that it's still delivered in an email. So it's, it's still wrapped in an email. And therefore, all of the disadvantages in terms of subject line, spam, folders, all that kind of things uh, play out. And so it's, it's, it feels to me that it's inhibited somewhat by the fact that it has to be delivered in an email. Are there any workarounds to that, or is it does it have to be by email? Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen kind of obviously, I mean, you know, lots of people will send it via email, um, and that works really, really well. Um, but you know, some people will send it through a direct message on LinkedIn, for example. We've got the plugin um, within LinkedIn. You can send a vidyard through there, which is really. Hey, helpful. oh, back up for a second. I'm interested <laughs> in this one because yeah. somebody I have used the direct message via LinkedIn. And the drawback you have is that you're, you you do it on your phone. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the it's hard to control the environment if there's people walking around in the background. You couldn't green screen it, for example. Yeah. Um, do you get around that? Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I can send... Um, so, so, so Vidyard's free to download, right? And we have a free Chrome extension yeah. as well. So once you're kind of like using the platform, you can send videos. We also have a, a, a desktop... Um, uh, an app as well that you can use yeah. um, on your phone, which is really, really easy. Um, but yeah, you can send video messages. Like, you know, normally we'd recommend anything from, you know, 45 seconds to a minute maximum. Um, just introducing yourself and putting what you would put in an email, but actually, you know, make it much more engaging with, with video. So yeah. um, it's interesting because HubSpot did a, a study where they've, since the pandemic, the number of emails that are being sent has actually doubled. Yes, and the the response rate has actually gone down. So the open rates and click rates have, have gone down, and that's really kind of where where Vidyard can help to to stand out from the crowd. You know, as a sales leader myself, I'm sure you get the same. I get a lot of prospect emails, um, and you know they by and large all look the same. Um, so when I get a video, it's like something different. It's refreshing. I can see the person. I you know I want to engage with them. Um, so I yeah I think it's um yeah I think it's that always a good thing though. Because, and I, I mean that, and I, should, I should probably should clarify what I mean by that, is that it's like when you look at emails, the problem with a lot of emails is they're really poorly structured. They're too long or they're too much about the sender. And, and, and I'm not just, it, it is difficult. It takes a long time if you're good at it to write a really good attention grabbing email that holds somebody's attention that leads to a call to action. But the thing about it is you can take time on an email. You can spend time crafting it. You can have somebody else take a look at it and go, oh, I don't like that, or I changed this word to that word. Mm -hmm. video, you can't do that. So some people, if you're very charismatic, you can be fine. Mm -hmm. But if you're not comfortable on camera, can it be counterproductive? 
It can be. Um, I think people kind of get inside their heads a little bit too much when it comes to video. Um, and it's so kind of like crazy when I think about salespeople. I mean, salespeople are client facing all, you know, through like video Zoom all the time, right? Um, and we expect our salespeople to be able to have a conversation with a client. Um, so, you know, there will be a level of, you know, charisma there, a base level of kind of like charisma and being able to interact with your clients. Um, so, you know, once when you first start doing, um, you know, kind of using Vidyard and, and doing videos, it can feel a little bit uncomfortable. I know myself, like the first couple of times I did it, I was like, ooh, but now I do them all the time because it's just second nature. You know, rather than sitting and writing out a big, long email, I can just send a really, really quick video. Um, you know, if I'm sending a proposal over to a client, I can just walk them through the proposal. Whereas, you know, in an email, like I'm trying to kind of, you know, explain why, you know, obviously you'd want to get on a, a call to talk the client through the proposal. But in the absence of that, sometimes that's not always possible. And actually being able to kind of, you know, um, talk the, the client through exactly why you've given them this particular proposal and why this is going to meet their business needs is much easier over a quick video um, than it would be over an email. Mm. Oh, that does, it certainly makes sense. Um... And I've seen it used really, really well for that is where maybe where the initial connection has already taken place from that point onwards, then people are a lot more comfortable with each other. And the other thing, as you were speaking, that probably has changed a lot as well in terms of comfort on camera is the fact for the last two years now, we've probably had nothing else yeah. but looking at cameras. So I think probably that's gone away as well to some extent. So, uh, yeah, I don't know why more people don't use it. I think it's the way to go because one of the, and, and this is this is not necessarily a pitch for Vidyard specifically, although I know it's and Sandra have a partnership with Vidyard, um, um, is that I did a video, it wasn't by a Vidyard because it's maybe three years ago, four perhaps. Now I know Vidyard was around at the time, but it was in its infancy. Um, I just did a direct video to a guy I was, I had already spoken to on the phone and it was a follow-up message. And it was like kind of, it was like, hey, Rebecca, you know, good to talk to you earlier. Had some thoughts since our conversation that I'd like to run by you. Mm. It was it was, it was, was in that light. Yeah. And I was kind of outlining thoughts that would make its way into a proposal, but at that stage were kind of loose. Here's some ideas, right? Mm. But the guy got back to me and he said, we absolutely loved the video. He said, it really gave us a sense of who you were. We got a sense of your style. You can never achieve that by a email. My, my, my feeling is. And uh, the other thing that I love about it, and this is probably the thing that I, I, I love Vidyard for as well, which is the, uh, I should say, by the way, this is not a spot. I know it sounds like it's a sponsor, but it's not. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I am, I'm a huge fan of video, so, uh, and it's the analytics. The thing that you can get from analytics that you cannot get when you just send an email to somebody, you can look at how long somebody's looked at a video for, if they've sent it to somebody else, you can see all of that. So you can really gauge their level of interest, which yeah. is something else as well. So, uh, yeah. Have we bigged it up enough yet? <laughs> That's not what I'm here for, honestly. I know, I, I know, I know that, but I, I do think of people listening to this that, you know, you're starting out the year and the year ahead and you're looking at new challenges. You know, everybody's targets are going up. Yeah. Prospects are harder to reach. There's no question about it. And 
getting their attention and holding that attention is is a bit it's it's getting harder and harder the fact that you said that you know the the studies are showing that there's twice as many emails went out well what that does my my experience of it it just tends to um contribute to noise and then people shut off yeah. and and then the only way you get attention is by being a little bit different mm. and therefore it's it's people looking forward thinking where can I get some incremental um, attention credits? Because no attention, no pipeline. No, no attention, no engagement, no engagement, no pipeline. Yeah. Uh, therefore, it, it starts really with attention. And I think that's what you guys are really in the business of. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know. I mean, I've, I've been in sales for 20 years. I've seen how the industry has evolved. Um, you know, we've got to do things differently. The world has changed around us, right? Um, so we can't do the same, you know, the same old things that we were doing 20 years ago. And buyers are a lot more sophisticated than they've ever been. Um, and they want to be engaged with in a different way. Um, so, you know, I think I think video is one of the reasons why I'm here. You know, I think video is definitely, um, you know, a way that we can engage with our prospects and our, our, you know, our clients. Not even, you know, not even kind of like prospects. It can be current clients. You know, we've got companies that are using it for, you know, their customer success teams, for example. Um, it's just about, you know, asynchronous communication, like how can you get a message across and have maximum impact, um, you know, in a, in a you know, short period of time. And, and that's what, you know, that's what it does, basically. Yeah. Uh, back to you, if you don't mind, for a little bit. Tell me a little bit about what inspires you as a, as a person. Um, so I'm a massive Japanophile um, and I love all things about Japanese culture and, uh, and, and all good things. And um, so there's a, a Japanese, I suppose you call it a philosophy, but Kaizen, which means continuous improvement. Mm. Um, and that's really kind of like what inspires me. Um, you know, for me, if I'm if I'm not learning, it feels like I'm not breathing. Um, mm. So I always want to be, um, you know, developing myself, developing those people around me. Um, even when it comes to clients, you know, I've often said, you know, I want to take a client from A to B and B is a lot better than A. Um, so, you know, that's how I kind of like see sales. It's about transformation. It's about making things better. That's what really kind of gets me out of bed in the morning. I, I noticed reading through some of the comments on your LinkedIn that you've worked in a number of different industries. You've worked in financial service, you've worked in, in recruitment and now in tech. And in each one of them, the comments were, there was a consistent thread through them. It was always about your knowledge and your expertise in that particular area. So I think it speaks to what you're saying about, you know, getting, learning constantly. And, and, and that's the other thing, like one of, one of the things that I think, you know, um, is something that's very, very important to me is about adding value. So whenever I have an interaction with, with anyone, you know, when I was an account executive and it was clients, you know, as a leader with my team, I want to be adding value at every single interaction. Um, you know, whether the client buys or not, right, I want them to be able to walk away feeling like they've learned something and they've moved forward. Um, so adding value and kind of imparting that knowledge or that experience or, or just challenging the client to think differently um, is something that's, um, that's really important to me. What, when you think about just the external world, what are the kind of issues that are important to you personally? Uh, diversity is, is super, super important to me. Um, you know, I've been on a, on a real sort of journey. I've been involved with, you know, women in leadership um, networks for a number of years. 
Um, and, um, you know, for the last 10 years, you know, being an ally to different, um, you know, ERGs, um, employee resource groups and, and, and different communities. So that's something that is really, really important to me. I think, you know, diversity, especially in tech firms, is getting a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, but, we've, you know, we've still got a long way to go. Um, so, yeah, so that's something that's really important to me. I think that's something um, that I'm very passionate about. You know, I've built diverse teams. You know, I know that it's possible. Um, and it's, um, it's, uh, it's something that I'm very proud of as well um, in, in sort of building those teams. Um, but also kind of like mental health and making sure that, you know, people feel included and that people have the space to be able to to really um you know thrive and and not get burnt out because sales is a it's a tough industry mm. right um but it's about how do you get that balance and make sure mm. that you're looking after yourself first how difficult has that been uh, given what we've been through the last two years really really challenging really challenging um you know and i've i've seen it you know some people some people have thrived and you know in this environment working from home some people you know get a lot of energy from it they you know they've really um you know done, done done really well and then you know other people it's really tough like you know if you don't have anyone else perhaps around you if you don't maybe have any housemates or anything like that you know i've had a couple of people in the team who've lived alone and that's been really really tough especially during those you know those harsh lockdown times um so it's important to you know make sure that you're over communicating with the team make sure that they feel connected to the mothership um but then also you know have some fun like it's it's so when i it's funny when when the pandemic started i was working at linkedin and um it was actually one of my team who talked about doing a, a midweek morale um and it was a half an hour on a wednesday afternoon um and the, the only rule was it couldn't be about work um so every person in the team took uh, took their uh, their turn to to host it and we had some fantastic things we had like a, a kind of workout session we had a life drawing class with kind of like you know just it was amazing absolutely amazing um so um so yeah so have a bit of fun as well with it and just yeah make sure that you're you're checking in with people yeah fantastic idea really is I'd, yeah just to set aside and just anything but work yeah i i can i can here and how people listening to this going yeah, we should do more of that yeah uh, yeah and, and is that and in terms of that was in linkedin um have you seen a change over time do you see now that we're coming out of this are you seeing green shoots light at the end of the tunnel or are we still looking at an oncoming train I mean, I'm I'm not a kind of a, an expert when it comes to all things about COVID, but it does feel like um, it does feel like we're coming out of it. I think you know, um, it seems like every person at the moment has had it, or you know, every other person that I've spoken to has had it. Um, but thankfully, you know, not, not as many people are being hospitalised with it, which is good. Um, I mean, you've only got to look at LinkedIn. You know, the amount of um, liquidity in the job market right now. I mean, there's so many people that have got new jobs um, mm. starting in January. I mean, my whole LinkedIn just blew up yesterday with lots of people, you know, moving and starting new new adventures. So, um, so yeah, so that that's kind of that's really encouraging to see because I think you know when you see people kind of like moving for new opportunities, um, mm. I think that's really positive because you know people are feeling a bit more secure. They're feeling a bit more. Um, you know, uh, positive about the future. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny one that you see it every year. Or you, well, depends, I guess, on the fiscal year for the company. Some for mid-year, you'll often see that activity, and it'll often start. You'll see the little rise one or two months before the end of quarter when the the writing's on the wall. Um, 
Talk to me a little bit about the kind of things that would have influenced you when you were younger that maybe in the past were were big issues that over time have maybe dissipated, the kind of things that really got your juices going that might have been pivotal moments for you. Hmm. Um, I mean, I've definitely, I mean, I've suffered with imposter syndrome. I think, you know, kind of with, with the background that I had, whilst it's great and it, you know, allows you to be able to make friends and kind of establish yourself, there is always that sort of nagging, you know, doubt in your mind of feeling like an outsider mm. um, and feeling like you don't belong. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's something that's had quite an impact on me. And I've worked a lot on that over the last few years, um, you know, actually kind of like seeking out external coaches. Um, I've done a lot of work um, around that area. So, you know, that's something that, um, that, you know, I think it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you mm. wanting to continue to develop. But equally, you know, I've got to a point now where I... Um, I give myself a bit of a break and, you know, I try not to get inside my head as much as I have before in the past. Um, and just kind of, you know, that has a, a positive impact on everything else that I do, because, you know, when you kind of relax into into life a little bit more, maybe it's turning 40, who knows? Um, but, um, you know, you start to, to find find your feet and feel a bit more comfortable um, and also kind of like not sweat the small stuff as well. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen, um, you know, whereas if it was 10 years ago, um, you know, I might have reacted and, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, in a, in a certain way. But now I'm a lot more calmer. You know, I have my daily rituals. Um, and, um, and yeah, it's just a, it's a lot it's a lot more pleasant to, to be in this space than, you know, perhaps um, a place that I was before. I do think, by the way, again, as somebody who's been through that significant decade, 40 and is well into the next one, is that, the older you get, and this is not just me saying it, I've heard it many, many times, the less you give a damn about most things in life. The stuff that used to exercise you when you were younger, mm. it's just, and that's what I kind of meant, the kind of things that fire us up and that later on we kind of go, what was I worried about? Yeah. And that's it. What was I worried about? Why was I, why did I waste valuable time thinking, worrying about stuff that either never was going to happen or was just so trivial it didn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. I think as you get older as well and you kind of, you know, you see things happening around you, um, you know, kind of like friends or family and, you know, it just kind of puts things in perspective a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, you mentioned the imposter syndrome and that's, you know, that's come up quite a number of times. I've heard it quite a bit and I've never really been able to figure out where it comes from. I can understand in your situation where you're constantly moving, it's very hard to put down roots. You always feel like you're looking in the window or you're standing at the door waiting for people to say, come on in, and um, figuratively, obviously. And so I, I can understand that there, but I've seen it pop up in people who've also had very stable upbringings. Well, I'm just curious, um, can you shed any light on what it is that causes, or and certainly as you've been through it, is how you how you go about dealing with it because it's a lot more common than people want to admit to. Yeah, it, it really is, and and actually hearing other people talk about it, you know, I thought I was very unique in this kind of like feeling that I was out of my depth and I didn't know what I was doing, um, and actually speaking to some really really inspirational people that I've met along the way who I would look at and think, oh my god, that person completely knows what they're doing, like they've you know they've got their uh, you know, they've got their, their, their kind of, you know, their stuff sorted, right? Um, but then seeing them, them being vulnerable has really, really helped. Um, uh, I think it comes from just people kind of like going outside of their comfort zone, right? You know, and that's how we grow. 
and that's you know that's how I've kind of really dealt with it is being able to reframe how I feel about imposter syndrome and rather it be I'm in my head I'm kind of self-sabotaging I'm you know thinking oh my god like you know these people all think you're stupid and you don't know what you're doing and etc etc you've got that inner kind of like monologue Mm. um to really kind of like reframe that as well actually you know imposter syndrome is a good thing because um you know it's because i'm outside of my comfort zone and it's because i'm growing and i'm learning um and that's 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 a positive thing yeah so it's really what you're saying is to not try to shut it off or, or run away from it but to acknowledge it yeah. and say there are benefits in it and that it can drive you and and okay that makes sense. Um, talk to me a little bit about the kind of things you like to do to unwind, relax when you're not at work. Yeah. Um, so uh, I love to go for walks. Uh, I'm kind of like a big, big walker. Um, love getting out in nature. Um, that's been super, super helpful during, especially during this time and working from home uh, for what almost two years now. So I'm um, trying to get out for a daily walk. There's a lovely little kind of like woods near where I live. Um, so that's really important. Um, I mean, anything to do with, you know, kind of like learning is really important. So, you know, if I'm watching anything on TV, it's usually a documentary uh, or I'm reading a, you know, a book that's uh, that's uh, on a topic that I'm passionate about. Um, travel, love to travel. Like if I haven't got a, fl you know, a flight booked or a couple of flights booked, I, you know, I tend to get a little bit twitchy. So, you know, seeing new things, experiencing new things is, um, yeah, all the, all the ways that I kind of, you know, spend my time outside of when, when I'm at work. Is the learning thing, because I, I, I can, when you're saying that, I can very much identify with that. I was just wondering, is that and the imposter thing connected in some ways? Because I can relate to it and say that, look, that there's a sense that if I have an expertise on a topic, if I know something, then... I feel more confident and I feel that I'll be more interesting because I won't be sitting there like a wallflower. I'll be able to contribute to conversations. I just, I'm, wondering, I'm often curious to know why that is. And, and I, it's not so much where they're learning. That, that makes sense to me. It's that when you look at people who don't have that and they have zero interest, zero curiosity about the world and they, they can stagnate very quickly in a quick, rapidly changing world, and, and 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 I wonder about more about that to be honest, but um, I, I, I'm often curious about why it is some people have that that drive to learn more and more and more and never be satisfied. Yeah. Is it, I guess where I'm, where I'm really coming from is it filling a void? Is it an insecurity, or is it just something in our brains that is like a cat? You're just curious about everything and you want to play with it and learn about it and that it's coming from a positive draw rather than a, a kind of a, a different place. For me, it's it's definitely a more of a positive draw. Um, it doesn't feel like I'm trying to compensate for anything or, you know, anything like that. It's because I'm genuinely, genuinely curious and mm. I'm really interested in different topics. Mm. So, you know, um, learning something, if I, if I, if I come away, um, you know, from watching a documentary, for example, I know a little bit more about that topic. Mm. And that's really, really, I get, uh, I get, you know, endorphins, like, and I get that kind of like that rush of, okay, cool. I've just spent an hour of my time really well. Mm. And if I, you know, if I, it's kind of like, don't get me wrong, like, you know, there are some guilty secrets and, you know, I do watch some kind of like trash on TV or, you know, read some kind of like things that, you know, maybe don't kind of, you know, exercise the brain. But, um, but, you know, that kind of feels like time wasted. 
and you know whilst it's important and sometimes you do just need to kind of like you know watch some rubbish and you know shut your brain off I feel a lot better like I feel a lot more positive um when I've come away from something and I've I feel like I've moved forward yeah um, so that's, that's guilty when you're not learning something that you said it's like time wasted yeah that's, yeah. that's how I feel um, yeah. and like I say I know it's necessary so you know it's not like I'm constantly with my nose yeah. in a book it's like sleep. Could you imagine all those hours if you had them back, if you were awake and you'd be productive and you have to waste them sleeping, but you have to, right? It's <laughs> really weird. important. Like I'm a big, yeah, big, big fan of, uh, of sleep and getting, you know, getting my sort of eight hours. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, it's, it, you know, I can tell with my brain, like if I haven't had enough sleep, um, that I'm not, you know, I'm not operating at, you know, kind of um, at, at peak performance, really. So, and that goes for kind of like, you know, if I'm exercising or anything like that, you know, I need to have, um, you know, enough sleep. Otherwise, I, you know, I kind of feel a bit groggy. What are you most curious about? People, like human beings. Like, I'm just fascinated with how different people um, work and what makes them tick. Mm. um like really really kind of like curious and and you know i did psychology um not at university i did sort of business management at university but i did psychology at a level and i was going to go go to uni and do psychology but yeah i'm just fascinated by people and again i think you know that that's served me really well in sales right because i've always been super super curious not just about the client's business but about them like what's kind of like what's really important to them what makes them tick mm. um so you know kind of peeling back those layers um, you know, whether it's with friends, new people that I meet, you know, kind of like uh, colleagues, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely people that I'm curious about. I, I want to ask you then about this because to me, the, the best and how it feels when I, when I look at people is, have you ever watched them, like an airplane coming into land and it's, it's approaching from a mile or two out and it's just coasting in and it seems to be just gliding along at 10 miles an hour? I know it's not, but it, it looks like that. And it's like it's just hanging in the air. And you look at it and you go, okay, I understand intellectually what's going on here with airflows and the physics of it. But how does that stay in the sky? How does it not just drop out? So there's that kind of, I understand textbook, but it just doesn't feel right. I'm like that when I look at people and that you can look at how people behave and you can study the psychology and can look at um, how sometimes predictable people can be if you understand them. Mm. And so from a textbook point of view, you can say, okay, I can see what there's, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance going on there. People are maybe invested in something and therefore they want to be seen as consistent and that's why they're behaving their way. Right? That's the textbook version. But you look at them and go, I, 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 I just don't understand it. I just, mm. it, it flummoxes me. And I'm just wondering if you've ever had that experience. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, there are some people and everyone's different, right? And this is one of the kind of the biggest, you know, leadership lessons that I had when we're moving into a leadership role is everyone is completely different mm. and everyone's brains work in a different way. Um, so, you know, and there are some people that for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I often think it's a values clash rather than a personality clash, but there are some people that you just don't gel with for mm. whatever reason. Um, and that's fine. That's okay. Like you don't have to get on with everyone in life. Mm. Um, but, um, but, you know, for me, it's about, you know, if you can, when you sort of lock a character like that, um, and you actually really kind of like understand them, like that is, you know, that for me is one of the greatest kind of like gifts in life. If you can, if you can really get to know someone and, and understand like some of the motivations and why they do things, um, mm. and that you can recognize and acknowledge them for who they are rather than trying to, 
necessarily you know kind of change them to you know how you want them to be or, or things like that so so if i'm understood what you're saying is you don't necessarily have to agree with their values or their positions or their behavior but you can understand it and if you can understand it you can accept it yeah exactly and and respect the fact that you know that that person is different and they have different you know different way of approaching things in life yeah um so again i think that kind of gives you a lot of peace as as you kind of get older is just that sort of acceptance you talked about this as part of your your leadership journey and i'd like to talk a little bit more about that um how was that for you going from rep to leader uh what was the experience like any pivotal moments in there that were kind of eye-opening for you yeah so um so moving from an ic and being you know pretty successful IC um, at LinkedIn, moving into a leadership role, I made a lot of mistakes, a lot of mistakes. Um, and, you know, because I'd done the job and, you know, I'd done it well and, you know, I had a particular recipe for success, um, you know, I, I fell into that trap of just being the mentor all the time. Okay, well, this is how I did it. <laughs> so kind of go and do it that way. <laughs> um, and um, it just didn't work. It wasn't scalable. Um, so I had a coaching uh, light bulb moment when I when I found coaching and I really really kind of like leaned into it. Um, I found that that was, you know, it was scalable. It was a much more impactful way of leading. Um, so I yeah, so I went on that journey and now you know it's 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 interesting now that I've kind of come out of um, that business and I've worked for other businesses where you know I, ne I don't necessarily understand the technology I haven't you know I've just literally started within the business I've got no option other to, than to coach right because you know I haven't done the job in that business so you have to you know those co coaching skills are so important um, so that's probably the, the biggest like moment and uh, and kind of reflecting back on what I would have done differently um, was found coaching earlier. One of the common threads that I've seen on LinkedIn and comments people have made about you is your how great a coach you are. And I wanted to ask you what your essence, what or what is the essence of coaching for you? So a lot of people mistake coaching with um, mentoring. And that, that, like, I, I would kind of like put them in two separate buckets. So if you're a mentor, I'm really kind of helping them um, with, you know, imparting my own experience and my own knowledge, um, you know, on, on with that person. But for me, coaching is about unlocking their potential, okay, in the sense that they have the answers. All I am is a, a guide, okay? So I'm, I'm kind of asking a series of kind of like questions. I'm challenging them in a certain way um, so that they can come up with the answer. Because, you know, I often have, everyone has their own opinion, right? I will have my opinion of how I think someone should handle it. But, you know, that's just my brain and how my brain works. And I've had some amazing, amazing, amazing moments where, you know, I've been coaching an individual and in the back of my mind, of course, I've had my own bias that, you know, I would do it that way. But, you know, they've come out with something and I've gone, that is just genius. Like, that's something that I would never have thought of. Um, so, you know, that for me is just what the definition of coaching is really kind of helping, being a guide and helping that person to find the solution that's going to be most impactful. How hard is that, though, to hold back when you when you do know the answer. And I, I don't know if what you just said, by the way, is don't think you know the answer. But when you feel like you've been through it, you have the experience and you know, it's over there, the answer's over there. How hard is it not to go, look, the answer's over there, just rather than spending time, because it's a lot more time investment in coaching in terms of asking questions and helping people come to that point where they get it. Yeah. It's, it, it does take more time, but it is the best investment you'll ever make. 
Um, so, you know, and I've learned that over time, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, ask more questions, don't kind of give too much away to the, you know, to the individual, like it's about how do you help them to find the answer themselves? And, you know, that for me is much more scalable. It helps them to kind of almost rewire their brain so that they can then self-coach. Mm. Um, so, you know, I mean, I've got relationships with, you know, reps over the years where they'll come to me and they know that we're going into a coaching conversation. Mm. And they know what to expect and they almost kind of like coach themselves. So they, you know, they'll come over to my desk and be like, I've got this. And then they're like, you know what, actually, and they, they recognize what coaching is. So they, you know, and they can do that with their peers as well. Yeah. So if you're growing a business, um, you know, and you're scaling it. Uh, you, you need to be able to, you know, you can't be all places. So, you know, having that coaching culture within the organization is so important because, you know, that's how you scale um, a business. I'm curious because I had a guest on recently and he talked about getting his team to coach one another as part of that process to do some peer coach. Well, it was more around accountability, I guess. Mm. But um, I'm wondering if you've, if you've had much success with that, if, if that's something that people should be exploring more rather than all roads lead to you as the coach, but empowering a kind of a coaching culture so that they're sometimes maybe even unconsciously coaching each other yeah uh, i mean that's something that linkedin did really really well um it, i mean it was it was fantastic they had a program which was all around kind of peer-to-peer -peer coaching um which was fantastic um and it worked really really well and it and it helped the team to understand what coaching was mm. because sometimes people can get frustrated if they if they come to you and they're expecting an answer and they don't recognize what coaching is you know they can sometimes there can be a bit of friction there and there can be uh, resistance um, whereas actually, if you understand what coaching is and you understand the why behind coaching and, you know, what you're going to get out of it as an individual and how this is going to develop you, I think you have to be pretty kind of like open and explicit about what it is because then the team understand, um, and then they can coach each other. Mm. Um, another thing that I've done before in the past is, you know, hand, uh, you know, actually having specific sessions around whether it's kind of like, you know, peer to peer deal reviews, for example. So not just, you know, bringing a deal to leadership and leadership basically kind of picking holes in it and telling you, you know, where you've gone wrong. Um, but, um, but you know, actually the team rallying around together nice. to be able to support each other. Um, I think that's so important. And again, you know, very scalable when you're, you know, when you're growing a business. And I like that as well, because they're going to be kind, they're going to be effective but kind to one another because they know they're going to be up next as well. Yeah. Um, the way you describe coaching, as you know, you're asking questions to help people come up, come to their own conclusions, and and have that emotional buy-in to to a solution. It sounds to me very like selling when you think about it. That you have to have rapport with somebody. There may be some initial resistance, but through asking questions, you're helping people resolve a problem that they have. Yeah, and and that they also have to be willing and able to invest time and effort in solving it in the same way as you'd have to be willing and able to invest money or time in solving a, a sales problem. I'm just wondering that the parallels that that if we're if we're using that approach in selling, then it should come more naturally to us just to transition the same approach, but with, with in a coaching conversation. Yeah. Or am I oversimplifying it? No, I think it's, I think you're, you're spot on. Um, you know, one of the things that I've kind of like seen within coaching, like Socratic questioning, for example, I mean, it's a, a kind of like a term that's, um, that, that's used. Those questions are so, so powerful. 
and I translate them not only from coaching but also into the sales world and I actually did a session with the team recently around Socratic questioning because it's all about actually getting the other person to really really kind of like think and sometimes you know our job as, as kind of like salespeople is for me just helping a client make a buying decision right and helping them to understand because sometimes you know they don't necessarily you know see the the opportunity or see the the challenge that they have because they're so kind of like busy you know in, in their own world and it's actually like how do i how do i help the client to come to that aha moment where it's like do you know what actually this could really really help my business mm. um uh, so those questions are super super powerful and absolutely it translates from coaching to, to sales for people listening who may have heard of Socratic, uh, Socratic question, but maybe not quite sure what it is, listen, I can hear them going, oh, what is that? What is that? Could you help us out? Yeah, so, I mean, like, Socratic questioning is just around asking questions that really get the other person thinking about um, what the answer is, right? So it's very kind of like, it's, it's challenging, but in a respectful way. Mm. Um, so, you know, an example... Um, I'm just trying to think of an example now, kind of on the on the spot. But you know, it's about like if you were to if you were to prioritize, for example, you know, where your where your challenges are at the moment. And you know, is this really a kind of like challenge? It's asking those really kind of searching questions to a client that's going to that's gonna help them to go like like I say, really think about it and really think about actually, you know, is this really the case? And um so so yeah, it's getting them to question themselves really. You know, there's a master Socratic questioning, and you're going to laugh at me when I say this. You will, I promise. Del boy. <laughs> yes. I said you'd laugh. I said it. Well, I've used some of the clips um, from Only Foods and Horses, where he's trying to sell his idea to somebody else. Mm. And he plays the dummy. He plays, ah, I'm a little confused. Help me understand. And it's genius when you watch it, absolute genius, because in other parts, uh, again, you look at the character and you're going, you just don't identify that with somebody who's who's got that street smarts. Yeah. But but I think it's when it's boiled down, that's the essence, is people who are really great in selling have that street smarts and they know, you know, not to be the smartest person in the room and to be comfortable being being the 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 dummy. I'm, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Columbo, which was a, you know, kind of like a series and stuff. And like, you know, very, very similar kind of questioning techniques that are non-threatening, mm. um, but really kind of like, you know, really quite clever um, in how you kind of like position something. And again, you know, it's not to, you know, trick the client or to, you know, kind of um, uh, be underhand in any way, shape or form. It's just about actually, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's have a, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a voyage of, of discovery, basically. Yeah. Another genius, and again, there's, there's so much rich material there. Is uh, one of the things again. I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to Colombo. <laughs> Who's Colombo? <laughs> Show my age now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but but really well worth watching it just for that, just to learn because he's a detective in his job. Well, sorry, I'm not telling you this for people who haven't heard. Younger people mightn't have. Um, and. You look at him, and, and I think part of the genius of the character was this disheveled look because it lowers people's expectations and it, it, it lowers their barriers. Yeah. So then he'd ask a couple of simple questions and then he'd always ask the killer questions, just leaving the door and he'd stop and go, uh, just one more question. And that would be it. And he was a genius for that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We can learn a lot from these programs very often that we, uh, if, if we pay attention to them. 
Yeah, there's a lot of kind of like parallels in, in you know, all kind of like walks of life. Mm. Um, uh, you know, my, my chap doesn't work in sales, right? And, but he will sometimes kind of like reference things and he's like, oh, that's kind of like what you do. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really fun. That's great though, because that shows their, their processing and they've got an awareness of it as well. Um, what are you reading at the moment that is, 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 is interesting for you? So um, there's a few things. There's the um, the qualified sales leader. That's really interesting. I've just started that um, a couple of days ago, which is really good. I finished the coaching habits, um, which again, like I'm always on the journey to, to uh, when it comes to coaching stuff. Um, so yeah, those two things are, are really interesting at the moment. Um, and I've got Drive lined up as well, which is um, all about um, you know what what kind of like motivates people. Nice. And have you a book in yourself someday? Have I? A book yourself that you'd you'd like to write to contribute all of your experience and learnings. Um, yeah, I think if I, if I was going to write anything, it would definitely be around um, you know, something around kind of like mental health for for salespeople, um, or diversity. I think you know those are the two things I'm most passionate about. Um, I mean, I'm passionate about sales, right? I'm passionate mm. about you know developing teams and and all that good stuff. Mm. But I think those are the things that. Um, are really important and need to be, um, you know, front of mind for, for, for all sales leaders, basically. What's left for the diversity journey? Oh, so much. <laughs> like, there's there's so much. Uh, and I think, you know, unconscious bias, I think, you know, making sure that, you know, sales leaders understand um, that, you know, we do have natural biases um, uh, and that, you know, we need to um, make kind of like space and room for people to feel included because, you know, there's it's the inclusion thing really i think is the is the biggest um the biggest issue um you know because we can hire diverse backgrounds and you know i'm not putting labels on people but you know it's diversity of thought it's diversity of backgrounds you know it's all of those different uh, different things but then if we don't create an environment where people feel included um then you know there's 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 no point really and actually that's that's more damaging than you know not hiring people from diverse backgrounds so you know it's one thing to get people through the door the real, real important thing is how do you create an environment where people feel included and they feel a sense of belonging? Um, that's really, really important. And, and is, is, is it still, I know you said earlier that it's a lot better than it was. Is it still prevalent? Absolutely, yeah, it really is. I mean, you've only got to look at, you know, I mean, the amount of times I see pictures on, you know, on LinkedIn of, you know, team gatherings and the first thing that I'll look at and I'll be like, mm, that's not a very diverse team. Um, and it breaks my heart because, you know, um, you know, some people inherit those teams and, you know, it's, it's, you know, but it's just about actually being deliberate and being conscious of it and, you know, looking at people from different backgrounds and taking, you know, taking a risk sometimes because, you know, yes, fair enough, these people might not look like everyone else that you have in your team, but, you know, they give them the opportunity um, and they will really, really flourish. I was, I was listening to, um, you know, the podcast that you did with Wendy and it's like, you know, when you when you see people who've come from a different background and you think, well, you don't actually kind of like fit into what I think a, an account executive looks like. Mm. You know, actually, like some of the best people that I've hired who've been the most successful have mm. been those wild cards, um, you know, who haven't necessarily fit the mold of what's gone before. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're coming at it from a different angle. And like that diversity of thought, I think is so powerful for teams. It really is. Is unconscious bias just another term for a, kind of a lack of education 
or outlook, a kind of experience. I don't mean like GCSE, GCSE or A levels education. Just yeah. I think it's. I think. I think it is a lack of awareness. I think it's not being aware of your own kind of like um biases basically like you know when you're talking to people and we, we actually did an exercise at linkedin which was a phenomenal phenomenal exercise um and it was so interesting that you know even people who would consider themselves to be you know very um inclusive and you know um allies to different like groups in you know in the, in the company even even then they were challenging themselves on it and you know i think it's about actually you know doing a bit of an audit on your business and saying right okay well actually how do people kind of like feel within the team um and from there then kind of thinking well actually what's going to be the right thing to do what programs can we put in place that are going to help people to feel like they belong well, rebecca unfortunately we're running out of time um i'd love to talk to you about this all day because here it's uh it, you've got such a rich tapestry of experience and areas that you're curious about and you're interested in, and it makes my job so much easier because you've got so many things you can talk about with with expertise um, uh, that that goes beyond superficial. And so, I'd love to come back and revisit some of these topics with you and and, and do them more justice and in more detail sometime in the future. But look, for today, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Um, we, we've, we've, we've touched on a lot of topics, but as I said, and some of them probably deserve more time, but uh, unfortunately we are up against the clock. Two very final quick questions before I let you go. Uh, same question I ask all my guests. Your house is burning down, family, pets, all safe. You have time to run back in and grab one thing to rescue it. What would it be? Why? Um, selfishly, it would be my, my mother's birth certificate. My mother's Irish, um, and I'd like to get my Irish passport. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there had to be an angle. I was kind of thinking, why would you want to grab a birth certificate? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so I'd like to get my Irish passport. I'd like at some point to buy um, buy property on the on the continent, and that's going to be a lot easier. You really don't want an Irish passport. You want an EU passport, right? Okay, yeah, I got it. But yeah, but you know, um, yeah. I'm very pr- I'm very proud of my uh, my Irish heritage. Um, so yeah, so that'd be the, the thing I would grab, probably. Very good. And if a book were written about your life when your time on this planet is done, what would you like the title to be? Oh, good question. Um, uh, she made an impact. I like it. Rebecca Drew, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. 